0: teams the men that is the home version and the road version and unfortunately the home version scores 93 points and lights it up the road version can't shoot 30 uh, percent against Louisiana Tech now in all fairness La Tech is one of the best teams in uh, the league we know that already they're 10-0 at home but for fans hoping that the Miners could have taken their wins against Middle Tennessee and also uh, Western Kentucky and uh, seen that carry over to the first of a two-game road trip, the answer is sadly no. And that's where we start the show off today. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome back to the program as we get going. And uh, looking forward to three hours with you here on NFL Championship uh, weekend. That's right, the NFL Championship games. We played on Sunday. We'll have them both for you here on 600 ESPN El Paso, along with Adrian Broadus and uh, Alberto Urueta. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Welcome back. Good to have you here on uh, 600 ESPN El Paso. Our phone number, 915-505-6009. That's 915-505-6009. A lot of uh, messages on uh, Twitter and X last night. Not a lot of phone calls after the game, and I understand why. I mean, for the most part... uh, a lot of the fans, they'll, they'll, they'll comment, but they don't want to talk about it right now. They just don't. I mean, there does come a point where fans are just kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say they're, it's just, it's easier to make a comment on your phone and post it than it is getting on the phones and, and uh, talking to us for a few after the games. I, I get that. I understand it. And I guess it's been frustrating because for minor fans, just when they're ready to see the team try to make progress and turn their season around, last night happens and you can't fault the defense. I thought the defense was terrific last night. Kept them in the game for the majority of it. And you know what? They had it to two um, in the second half, and that's kind of why I thought the Myers would make that run. But before you know it, it went from two to 12. And I don't know who the La Tech announcer is on ESPN Plus who kept yelling, Boccio, man like the uh you know village uh, village people song macho man which i thought was hilarious because every single time bacho did something uh exciting you just heard him scream out bacho man which was i mean listen uh, you know it's we got to understand it's LaTex announcers they're not uh you know being paid to be impartial it's funny because like when i call the um tournament games For uh, UTEP, the uh, West Star Don Haskins Sumble Invitation, and I called those games with Leonard Owens. I tried to be as impartial as I could. I really did. Like, I did try to keep things absolutely uh, down the middle. But last night, when that guy was screaming, Bacho Man, uh, every time that Bacho hit a shot, it almost put a smile on my face because I knew there he's he he tried to keep it unbiased but he just couldn't contain himself every time the big frenchman got a bucket in and had to yell bacho man
1: you know what, Steve? I'm all good with this. Uh, I didn't hear this at all, but this is good. This is great stuff. I was watching the whole thing with uh, Zay and uh, Sal yesterday. I didn't hear the actual call of the the tele- or the ESPN Plus version, uh, but that is awesome right there. You know, the most biased announcers on the planet Earth right now are the NBA League Pass announcers. So anybody who has League Pass uh, can understand that if you throw on a Charlotte Hornets game, you're going to get the most biased broadcast that you can ever imagine. Just Hilarious, like inside jokes, uh, references to Bobcats players from the late 2000s and stuff like that, so on and so forth. But uh, that is great. Bacho, man, I'm all in on that nickname right there. And he killed Utep. I mean, he they had zero UTEP. answer uh, for Bacho yesterday. And I feel like the game was really in the balance about the eight minute mark of the second quarter. Credit to the miners for coming back in the game. They cut it to just three points at one point. Uh, Otis Frazier, the third. Actually, it was two points. It was uh, 48-46. They end up, uh, I'm talking about Louisiana Tech, making a layup on the other end. Uh, UTEP actually turns the ball over on offense. The uh, Louisiana Tech team g- actually gets it on the other side, scores on a putback. So, uh, again, they get an offensive rebound and score on a second-chance layup. And I thought that's the point. The seven-minute mark of the second half was when they really distanced themselves from UTEP. And UTEP's just not built to you know, come from behind sustain some adversity, and then try to keep, uh, continue against the team. They're just not built like that offensively right now, the way it stands on the road. And another poor per sh- uh, shooting performance by the Miners. It's been all over the place, right? I mean, uh, shooting-wise, they shot 59% on the road against Florida International. They went all the way and dipped to 30% and 36% against Loyola, Marymount, and Oregon on the road, respectively, in November and December. Uh, but then last night, 29 Nine point five percent worst shooting percentage by this team all year. So if you're talking about this team taking a step forward, which they were offensively in conference play, they took two steps back last night on the road against La Tech.
0: They did. They they absolutely did. And um, once again, uh, you know, it was a, everybody shot bad last night. There was no good shooting effort from UTEP. Everybody had a poor shooting performance. I mean. Corey Camper Jr. was one of nine, and he played 35 minutes. And my attitude is, listen, I get it, right? You know, he's one of your offensive guys. But if he's off, you know, there's got to be somebody that can come in and play. Trey Horton was sick yesterday. Was that the story?
1: Well, I'm not sure. He played two minutes yesterday and only attempted a shot. I thought I thought the reason he didn't play more because it was because they didn't like the shot attempt that he had in the first half. But I'm not sure if that's the case or not. So he just didn't play the entire second half. They kept a very tight rotation in the second half. Yep. And so if you say no, Corey Camper, I say who? Who else would you throw in? Baylor Heb? Well, Baylor Heb hit a three. Yeah, he I mean maybe you three. just give him extended opportunities.
0: Give a chat. Listen, here's my attitude: when you can't shoot. Bring in the guys that at least are supposed to be able to shoot, right? I mean, that's that's Trey Horton and Corey Campers, uh, Trey Horton and uh, Baylor Hebs. That's the reputation is that they're shooters. Now, if they come in and they can't make a shot, fine, take them out and keep the others back in. But what I'm saying is, is that if you can't throw it in the ocean, and these guys can't just can't make a shot, at least give the guys that are supposed to be shooters an opportunity to go in there and try to shoot the basketball.
1: Yeah, but that you could argue that that's also Corey Camper's role, too. And, you know, even though he's going one of nine, I thought his looks were a little bit better than guys like Zid Powell, who is really just attacking the basket mm. and hoping to get fouled. And yes. that's what he's good at, right? He gets fouled, he goes to the free throw line, and, yeah, he can make some free throws for sure. But yesterday he wasn't getting the calls like he uh, is used to at home. So I, I've had issues with the front court, Steve. I didn't have issues with the back court. I mean, you saw what Kevin Callu didn't do in this game. He didn't guard Daniel Boccio. That was his big task in this game. Uh, it was Calvin Solomon who played 16 minutes off the bench, but he fouled out, had a late technical foul, albeit a little ticky tack. Uh, couldn't get much from Elijah Jones, although I'd rather the Jones minutes versus the Calu minutes, and I felt like they could have gone five guards the way last night looked, uh, knowing that they weren't getting anything from their front court, and forget Derek Hamilton. They just abandoned him. Yeah, they did. They've
0: abandoned him all season, right? They really have. So,
1: yeah, it's,
0: uh, again, it's it's frustrating because a lot of minor fans were hoping the last night was going to be a much different outcome than it turned into. That's all. And, by the way, I watched Sam Houston State. I don't see UTEP beating them either because I watched that game and saw what they did to New Mexico State. UTEP and New Mexico State are very similar teams right now, in my opinion. They've both gotten very good at home, and they both can't win on the road. But I mean they I, I feel like the UTEP Sam Houston State game is gonna be very similar to UTEP and La Tech. Based on what I saw with the Aggies last night,
1: yeah, I just think that you can't really call UTEP or New Mexico State a contender right now, the way no. it stands. I think they're on the outside looking in. They're not even really a dark horse team as it stands right now. Until they both, uh, each team, can prove that they can win on the road. It, just in my opinion. Now the Bearcats, they've got some talent. I agree with what you were saying there, Steve. I think the the misconception was this team was going to take a step back going into this year, year one under Chris Mudge, uh, as who left the program, and as they took on uh, their former coach last night in New Mexico State, what they've shown so far throughout conference play is they're very competitive, and even against you know teams like Liberty, which they lost 82-66, they're able to avenge it with a win against New Mexico State last night, 79-67, impressive victory. They're now 4-1 in conference play. That's huge. That is absolutely huge. All right, so, uh, yeah, and by the way,
0: Uh, UTEP will have their work cut out for them tomorrow against San Houston State. They really will. Um, The sad part is, though, is that if UTEP actually shoots the ball well on the road, they're winning games. Like, their defense forced so many turnovers yesterday. It was ridiculous, and they do that. I mean, what, are they first in the country in terms of forcing turnovers on a game-by-game basis?
1: Well, they—I don't know about first in the country that's on turnovers what the, uh, per game.
0: That's what the announcers were talking well, about.
1: Well, that's a—I mean, that's a really good stat right there. I'm looking at their turnover percentage. They're second in the country for that, which is extremely good. I mean, you're talking about every possession down the court. Yeah. Uh, Twenty-six of those possessions on a per hundred basis are turning into turnovers defensively. That's an elite defense right there, and ter- you know, causing those turnovers. My issue with their defense, Steve, is I feel like they let easy buckets. fall fly by them when they break down defensively those easy buckets will come and I thought Baccio in the first half at least he was getting some of those easy looks
0: he was and in the second half too he really he wore them down. I mean, UTEP just couldn't they, – they were supposed to go right after Bacho, but that didn't work out too well, did it?
1: Right. They were trying to deny his entry passes and tried to deny him even getting the ball. But uh, La Tech, credit to them. They were be- getting very creative giving him the ball. He even took a handoff off Isaiah Crawford, dribbled it inside, yep. got a foul drawn, and then went to the free throw line and sunk a free throw. So he's impressive. I mean, bacho has got a lot of moves in his bag. This is definitely a team that should be contending. Unlike UTEP, this, one, this team should be contending – for a CUSA title.
0: No doubt about it. All right. Uh, we'll get some phone calls to get to. It's championship Sunday in the NFL as well. We'd love to get your thoughts and uh, comments. If you went to the women's game last night, that was a good result. Congratulations to Keitha and the UTEP women winning by four against La Tech, uh at the Haskins Center. Domingo's going to get us started. Happy Friday, Domingo. What's going on? How are you doing, Kathy? How, how's everybody? Uh, we're not as good as you, considering America's blanked uh, FC Juarez two nil on Wednesday, and I'm sure a very, very happy night for you inside the Benito.
2: Oh yeah, it was good. And let me correct you from Wednesday. My it was my seventh America game overall. You already know one assemble and and six and Juarez and still unbeaten, but. Now we already took care of America, and yes, they're going to win tomorrow night against the Caxley, and I want but, but I'm going to talk about Utah basketball. They need to do better on the road. I don't know what's wrong with them. They'll end up like Rodney Terry in his first season, win with on the road. They need to do better, or if not, it could be another, it could be 2020 all over again.
0: Um, I mean, 2020 was a pretty rough year. And actually, 2019, 2020, is that what you're talking about?
1: Yes, yeah, Rodney Terry's first year.
0: God, was that his first year? 18 was
1: the first 18, year. 1890.
0: That's what I thought. Oh. Yeah, 1890.
2: Tell you about that. Yeah. yeah. It could be 1819 all over again, winless on the road, and then you're going to have to reevaluate they need, with the
0: coaches staff. Yeah. I mean, Domingo, I appreciate the call. Adrian can this team win a game on the road? Do you think there's a there's somebody out there they can
1: actually beat on the road this year? Well, I don't know, Steve. Maybe that Middle Tennessee State? game, uh, that would be the one that I would throw out there. I wouldn't. I don't know. The way it stands right now, I don't have UTEP winning one of these road games. Maybe they win one in the conference tournament with that being a neutral site, but I just looked at that year that Domingo was referencing, 2018-19. They went 0-13 on the road that year. And that Good could, lord. But that could be the reality of this year's team right here. I mean, uh, they haven't Shown that they can win on the road. They had a lead their best chance so far was that game against Florida International, and they had a big lead with just eight minutes to go, and they relinquished that lead. They collapsed in that game. They're 0-6 on the road so far, and they've got another one Saturday. I don't see them beating Sam Houston State. I could be wrong. Uh, but after that, the next road swing is Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee. Maybe they Split. get their first one against Middle Tennessee. Maybe, but I, I still I don't have any justification to actually pick this team on the road right now.
0: They're definitely not beating Western Kentucky on the road. That's a given.
1: Yeah, agree. Agree.
0: Middle Tennessee, they got a shot. I think they got a shot against Jacksonville State. I, I really do. I mean, they're not very good either. But, you know, it's just the problem is there are two distinct different teams that we watch. And the home team and the road team are very different. They are very, very different in the way they play. One version shoots, the other one can't. One team seems to have um, much better success offensively, and and the other one, the, the other one really struggles. I mean, that's just that's just, and not only that, they go for dry spells. Like, I mean, we're talking four, five, six minutes without baskets.
1: Yeah, it feels like that's a repetitive tweet. Like It sounds very redundant whenever I send that out that UTEP's going through a scoring drought, UTEP hasn't scored in four-plus minutes, and that's a reality, a reoccurring issue that's happened, not even just on the road, it's happened at home as well.
0: We want to see this team play better on the road. It's not like we want to see them lose, we want to see them win, but... In order to do so, you have to put an effort that resembles what we see here at the Haskins Center. And yeah. until we
1: get that, it's going to be the same results. And it's uh, disappointing to see guys like Calvin Solomon really take <sighs> a step back. And, God. you know, Zid Powell, all the pedigree, all the hype yeah. going into the year just not really pan out the way that they needed him to. No, you're
0: right. That's, that's, that's the big problem. Didn't Solomon get teed up yesterday?
1: Yes, late in the game, but still, uh, it's it's like those things shouldn't happen. No, he, he's coming off the bench. He was all conference, uh, you know, all conference selection t- uh, player. This shouldn't be happening.
0: How are you talking trash when you're scoring two, three points a game?
1: Yeah, I mean, when his minutes have diminished, depleted, he's lost his playing time to Kevin callu who's not necessarily lighting it up uh, himself in the front court. So.
0: No, we all we all know Elijah Jones is the best scoring option of the three guys.
1: I think so. I'd rather see him make mistakes. Hunter called in yesterday and was uh, saying that himself. I agree with him. I think that uh, you should see Elijah Jones play extended minutes and make mistakes versus seeing the same thing that you've seen from guys like Kevin Kalou.
0: We'll give out awards. We'll take more calls. We'll talk uh, Championship Sunday as well. And uh, keep you rolling here on Sports Talk. Plus, Another Broken Egg Cafe is now open for business. You can take advantage of that on Dining Deals. We'll tell you more about that and a whole lot uh, coming up on the show today. Great program. We've got lots of guests. Lane Frank is going to drop by. The 600 ESPN El Paso, River Oaks Property, Schoolyard Sports Studios. We've got Brian Clairhout uh, who's going to be with us on the phone lines. Looking forward to that. We'll talk a little uh, Loco Soccer. But first, let's go to Charlie one and get this traffic update. 23 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. our telephone number to get into the program, 505-6009. Still to come at 5 o'clock, it'll be Track Talk with Eric Allen, voice of Silent Park Racetrack. We'll recap the busy week and preview the upcoming weekend in live racing. Normally that segment airs uh, Thursdays at 5, but we had UTEP basketball last night. Man, I have tried to go to the ESPN Plus feed just so we can listen to Bacho Man. And every time I try to pull up the uh, archived copy, I can't get the game on this uh, computer.
1: Darn, man. That's uh, no fun.
0: No, it's not. It is no fun. Anyway, um, but that's just the way things go, right? I mean, what what are you going to do?
1: I'll ask ask Ben Carlisle, see if he has any access to uh, the audio files from last night. Maybe he has it.
0: Well, I'm going to uh, the Bulldog um, basketball handle just to see if uh, they have, like, shot. They they do, actually. Hang on. This might be – let me see if this is – no, that's not going to be the one. They do have, like, highlights. And when they have highlights, I wonder if I will hear the Bacho Man during the highlights. Because it keeps showing a lot of threes, a lot of big shots like that but I'm yet to see uh, Bacho hit a shot. Oh, he had a block. Let's see if he gives us a Bacho man on this block. Hang on. This, this might be a winner, Adrian, if I remember correctly. This was like uh, late in the first half. Here we go. Let's see if this is the one. No, that wasn't it. And I was hoping that was the one, the Bacho rejection. But it uh, it was not. It was great block. He had a couple of great blocks. But you know, I'm, it's tough to get the uh, the bacho man like we had yesterday. But it was it was pretty good. Oh, this might be a this was a dunk. Let's see if I get one of these. Close, close. But anyway, yeah, you, you get the idea. By the way, that was a horrible mix. And it was a horrible feed last night. If any of you watched the game on ESPN Plus, they were like two seconds delay between the audio of the call and the actual video of the game. I kept thinking it was an ESPN Plus problem, so I kept um, trying to reboot the app, and I realized, nope, LaTeX feed just absolutely sucks. So that's unfortunate, but the way it was, and nothing you can do there. But anyway, yeah. And trust me, my first plan was to time John's call with the ESPN Plus feed. But I could not get the timing of John and the feed to match up. So I was left with the alternative, which was having to listen to ESPN Plus, And I was not happy. I was like, I spent a while working on trying to sync John uh, Teicher with the feed, which to me is the only way to watch and listen to a game. But Adrian, for whatever reason, I just could not get the sink working like I wanted to. So I was, left, uh, I was left, unfortunately, having to uh, to hear the uh, the other feed.
1: Yeah, it was a difficult night to try to do that because in the first half, it was like the typical ESPN plus delay, maybe 20 seconds, 30 seconds behind. Second half, that delay increased uh, substantially. There were multiple times where I would be uh, watching the game with Sal and Zay, and i think to myself, man, this was like three or four possessions ago from where John is talking right now in real time. So, yeah, difficult to follow it from that aspect. Uh, So I was kind of watching basically recaps of every play that John would call.
0: Callaway 007 gets into the program. The Miners remind me of the Cowboys' bad road team. But even the Cowboys beat some people on the road. Because the Cowboys were a bad road team. But they they had their share of wins, a handful of them, on the road. You know, the Miners haven't won a game on the road. Ugh.
1: Yeah, if you wanted to be real pro-UTEP and really defend them and say stuff you know, against uh, what we're talking about right now, you would point out that the home win percentage across conference USA is actually getting bigger for the, ro- the home team. Uh, now it's yep. 19 of 23 games have been decided by the home team. That's now 83% up from their initial, what, 79% to start this week. So, so they're really finding success at home.
0: So here's the thing, all right? I don't disagree with that stat. But if you want UTEP to be a team that, in March, can go to Huntsville, um, Alabama, and win the conference tournament, you need to see at least something on the road that gets you excited. Something, right? Otherwise, Because they're all neutral site games. They're all neutral site games. But even the neutral site games that they played in California, which they split, they played Hard in the first game and beat Cal, and in the second game against Bradley, they um, you know they hung in there, but they weren't able to get it done. So that's that's the only those are the only neutral site games we can actually judge UTEP on right now.
1: Yeah, and then you could also say that uh, the away games, they also, the the common trend is UTEP's just not scoring enough points yeah. with the exception of that FIU game. Look, they score 47 and a loss to Loyola Marymounts, 49 to a loss to Oregon, uh, 82 against Abilene Christian, sure, but then 53 on the road against New Mexico State, and then last night 54 against La Tech. So is the, uh, there's no right number. There's no right shooting percentage either because they shot almost 60% against Florida Inter. Internationals. So the bottom line, they're just not winning these games on the road.
0: But it's not like they're not hustling and giving you effort. The defensive effort, I thought, was there yesterday. Yeah, they hit some shots and ultimately beat the Miners, but I can't fault UTEP for the defense. I thought the defense kept them in most of the game until late. So And they were forcing turnovers, and they, were, they just couldn't throw it in the ocean. That was the biggest problem. Is this the offensive woes continue?
1: Yeah, and I think now that we're 20 games in, we've got an accurate sample size to definitively say this team is not a contender, not a dark horse. And that's that's a, a downer kind of thing to say, right? Yeah. Because we're talking late January. We're talking about year three of this regime right here. And we're also talking about a vulnerable, wide-open conference USA. Last year, you couldn't say that. That's last right. year it was Florida Atlantic. Last year it was uh, North Texas, UAB, Charlotte. These really good teams that were competing in conference USA. So you could say that the conference was really tough. This year, you can't say that. This is a vulnerable conference USA that's really wide open.
0: 100% right. 31 passed. We'll get to Orley in a moment. Two lines are open 505 6009. First, here's Adrian at Sports Center. The Vince McMahon story is just disgusting and creepy. And the more you read, if you actually read that lawsuit, it is so disturbing. Oh my God. I mean, you knew that based on him and everything he's done he's he's probably into some some things that would make you cringe. This this lawsuit is just absolutely uh it's it's disgusting. There's no other way to put it.
1: Right, I agree with you completely, and uh, the athletic did a great job reporting on this one. Um, you know, the gruesome details are one thing, hmm. but now you actually have to be worried about his associations, too. Yeah, you have to yeah, true. be worried about who he's keeping close to him and who could also be uh, going down with him in this lawsuit if this ends up being the case.
0: Bring the whole company down. It's crazy. Right. So all right, let's go to Orley. He's been waiting patiently.
1: Orley, what's happening,
0: man? How are you?: I'm doing okay.
3: You know, what has happened to our UTEP basketball program? This is year three. Year one, he did all right, but he had Terry's ballplayers. Now, after year three, you thought you'd see an improvement. You know, I bought into this guy. I thought, yeah, he, rah, rah, he's going to do great. Begin to wonder if we got a uh, sold a bill of goods. I just, he beat one team, Texas. Let me ask you, was Yang, part? was he? The guy out of Baylor, he went to Kansas State. Is it Yang?
0: Tang, Jerome Tang. You're talking about Jerome Tang. Tang, Yeah. Tang,
3: Tang. wouldn't he, didn't he apply for the UTEP job too?
0: Yes, he was a finalist.
3: And they took this guy over him?
0: They took took Joe over Jerome Tang and Chris Jans. That's correct.
3: Uh, Unbelievable. Wow. Now, I will say
0: this about UTEP, okay? Number one, I never, I've never Cared about the well. He won with somebody else's players. You want to know why? Uh, it, let me tell you why. Because if Rodney Terry couldn't win with Rodney Terry's players, and Joe Golding does win with Rodney Terry's players, then that right there tells me something. Okay, so we know that if he has some talent, he's uh, he can coach, and that's and that's fine. So he did more with Rodney's ter- players than Rodney ever did. So we know that for a fact. So that's that's fact number one. Now the problem is, we also know that. From a recruiting standpoint, they have not recruited the talent necessary to take this program to the pl- to the place where you and every other minor fan wants it to go. And if it doesn't, and if it doesn't uh, pan out this year, and they go to the tournament and they get eliminated in whatever round, and they don't go and they don't play any postseason ball, they will probably take a very serious look at the assistants and the rest of the program and figure out how to change that.
3: Well. Something's got to be wrong if he's not recruiting. Understand, not only that, Steve, this is a watered down conference. You don't have the big boys in this conference anymore. They didn't have them when they before they split out. But you have Florida Atlantic and some of the other schools, North Texas. You're right. But this is a watered down league.
0: A hundred percent.
3: Yeah. Now let's go to the game Sunday. Yep. Do I think Evil Samuel will play? Yeah.
0: They've already announced he's I, playing.
3: He's already, oh, did they already announce it?
0: Yeah, he's playing.
3: I figured he would. It's not a crack. Uh, they'll put an extra padding in there. And I mean, I if you look on paper, the 49ers should win. That's looking on paper. It all depends what who shows up. 49ers, I think, should win. I'm going to predict hopefully a 38-20 to 20 score. I think the 49ers got the scare of their life last week. And it may have opened up the 49ers. Hey, you better show up for every game. If not, you're going to get beat.
4: Yep. Yep.
3: And then and looking at Kansas City, Baltimore, you never underestimate an Andy Reid, and, and what's the quarterback, Mahomes. You can't count them out. I mean, but if you look on paper, it should be Baltimore. should be a Baltimore-San Francisco Super Bowl. And if yep. you go by the logos, the logos prove it. How, accurate, how accurate
0: are the Super Bowl logos with the teams that play?
3: Pretty accurate the last four times.
0: Interesting. Well, I wonder how the NFL does <laughs> that. How does the NFL know? How do they know? <laughs>
3: Well, that's a conspiracy theory out there. Here, people talking about it, mm-hmm. but you know, let's just hope. I hope it's a good game, and I am hoping it's a forty nine er win. You know, I've been. I mean, if it is, it is. Then, if it's not, the world's not going to crumble.
0: All right, appreciate you, Orly. Thanks for the call. If it is, it is. If it's not, the world is not going to crumble. Words of wisdom from Orly, from the west side of town. As we continue. Let's go back to the phones. Here's Dan joining us next. How are you doing, Dan? What's, uh, what's going on with you? I'm doing awesome, Steve. But
4: what happened to Orley? Normally, he is talking about the 49ers walk on water. Yes. And there's no one that's going to beat him. And it's a shoe-in for the Super Bowl. But I think what happened to Orley is that game last week scared the heck out of him.
0: Well, and here's
4: why. This is what happened. Of, I, I goof around around this time of year online uh, on a lot of San Francisco uh, uh, web um, you know sites and everything. Sure. Funny thing about it is they're talking about how many picks the 49ers have. But let's look at John Lynch. They're talking about he works on water. A few years ago, John Lynch, the 49ers could have four Super Bowls by now. And guess who should still be playing for the 49ers? Tom Brady. Hmm. They passed on Tom Brady, and they got Jimmy, uh, Jimmy G. Yeah. They passed him, and so Brady could have gone to the 49ers in that he won a Super Bowl with a far, far, far less defensive and offensive team in Tampa Bay. Fair enough. Orly doesn't want to hear that. And so John Lynch walks on water, right? But there is no team in the NFL, Steve, that has failed to address the quarterback issue more than than San Francisco, and it's going to come back and bite him this year, and Orly knows it. That's why he was so quiet and meek, uh, meek and hopeful about it. But I want that other Orly that comes in talking strong and talking about everyone walks on water and the Cowboy fans. I think the 49ers fans are far worse than the Cowboy fans. And I'm no Cowboy fan.
0: What do the so 49ers fans do that just absolutely, to you, uh, take them over the top?
4: They just, Cowboy fans are obnoxious. But 49ers fans are over the top obnoxious toward Cowboy fans just because of the catch mm. they've been living on that mm. for years yeah. but at the yeah. time i was a cowboy fan
0: by okay the way, okay
4: because tom landry was there who you, uh, who'd, you Johnson, for,
0: who'd you move to who'd you move to
4: well uh right now steve to be honest with you i stayed in texas with the oilers and the texans
0: okay so, so, you so you didn't So you didn't move you didn't move to tennessee with the titans like the oilers did you stayed and now you're a texans fan
4: Yes, Okay. and so I just wanted Orley, I want Orly, call back Orly, I want that, you know, that bravado Orly, that talk of the 49ers' walk on water, mm-hmm. but Orley's not talking about pur- uh, Purdy's walks on water anymore, because he saw the real Purdy last week, so Orly, come on, I'm waiting on you, call back, buddy,
0: bring it back to me. Appreciate you, Dan. Thanks for the phone call. 20 in front of 5, more in a moment, Sports Talk continues, 600 ESPN El Paso. Welcome back, everybody, to another week here of Track Talk. Steve Kaplowitz joined, as always, by the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino. He is Eric Alwyn. Eric, great to have you back. And as we head into another weekend of live racing, I think the biggest story is what happened last week. Six stakes races over Thursday and Friday, including a prep for the Sunland Derby. I mean, we're not used to giving horse racing fans this much quality this early in the racing season
5: good to see you again too steve Uh, it was a whole smorgasbord of events especially thursday and friday where we got to see some great thoroughbred talent and maybe get to see the future of what the Sullivan derby is going to look like we we had the rally allison derby and i I think we have a legitimate contender in in lucky jeremy who won the rally allison derby coming in from you know the big time the churchill downs and, and if that wasn't enough we had kind of leading categories in all the thoroughbred divisions on those both days. It was a busy back to back six, six parts of stakes.
0: Speaking of that, let's talk about the Coralito Steakhouse and then the La Senora Stakes. Those were the two races that featured uh, on Thursday's live racing.
5: They were, and it was kind of a civil war for the uh, Finchers as Todd Finchers, community leader, just held off his dad's horse in, uh, in that race and, uh, uh, that was a horse that was coming on the inside and certainly uh, ran a great race for Leroy Fincher, uh, who is uh, Todd's father, and uh, it was you know quite a battle as Marking Canyon made it close. But Community Leader is the unanimous choice, I think, for top two-year-old from last year in the New Mexico Thoroughbred ranks, and certainly with that win in the Corralito Stakes is still the leading three-year-old New Mexico Thoroughbred. It'll be interesting to see if this horse comes back you know, February 18th on Sunland Derby Day, because there'll be some big, big events for him, I would think, and certainly worth a lot of money. And it's the, well, it's actually going to be the New Mexico Breeders Derby. And we've moved that uh, towards the end of this season. So he'll have a little more time to get over the big effort that he had uh, last Thursday. The other stakes that we had was the La Senora stakes and Paying off my marker. Got a great ride from the Cajun rider, Tracy Abear. Got off like a bullet and then just stalked the pace and won in an absolute hand ride. And I think that paying off the marker as far as the girls go, certainly one to watch for any kind of event in our future.
0: Now, uh, you mentioned the Riley Allison Derby. I want to get to that in a moment. But first, the Bold Ego Handicap, one of the first of uh, four stakes races uh, last Friday. Bold Ego Handicap, one of the most well-known signature uh, stakes races here at Sutherland Park during the live racing season. How did it end up?
5: I have fond memories of, of Bold Ego, Steve. That was, uh, at the time, you know, the early 80s. New Mexico thoroughbreds were not really on the map nationally. Quarter horses were. But I remember when Bold Ego, you know, started his career in 1980 right here at Sunland and won the Rally Allison Futurity. I was good friends with J.D. Barton. Of course, Cliff Lambert was his trainer, and he was just a barrel full of speed. They took him to Oaklawn Park at, at the age of three, and he ripped off all kinds of stakes wins at Oaklawn, and it all jettisoned him to the Triple Crown. He set the fastest pace in Kentucky Derby history, and then he ran a big second in the Preakness. So, Bold Eagle made a real impact in New Mexico racing back then. It was a great daddy, too. He sired many, many horses, and you can tell by their names, because Ego was always in it. And at the time, Steve, that race used to be, it was always made for fillies and mares, and the winner of the race would get a free breeding to Bold Ego. So there was an extra bonus. Of course, Bold Ego's passed away. But in this year's Bold Ego, Chesterette for Bart Holm waited for the speed to exhaust itself. It was a hot pace. And Bart Holm, Chesterette, horse that I followed throughout her career, uh, got the job done and now has wins at Turf Paradise, Zia Park, and Sunland. It was a bit of a surprise because I thought that there might have been some other horses there that might have been a little classier. Uh, the, uh, there was even a Steve Asmussen horse in there that uh, Chesterette pretty much you know, demolished.
0: As far as the uh, BorderPlex stakes and the Fort Bliss stakes, two other big races uh, from mm-hmm. last uh, Friday, any surprises there,
5: Eric? You know what? Not in the borderplex, Steve, because I'm very, very high on Candy Isle. It's kind of a horse that I kind of get confused with. I, Candy, Mm -hmm. and they're both trained by Todd Fincher. But uh, Candy Isle is the local power to maybe win the Sullen Oaks. She's that good. It was only a five-horse field, Steve, and she got into a lot of trouble. Couldn't really find racing room until just in time at about the midway mark of the stretch and just exploded to the front and and won in a hand ride. And I don't think she's going to have any trouble translating her ability from a sprint to a route. And uh, Todd's got a major threat there to win that rich Sondland Park Oaks, which, by the way, is worth a lot of money and offers points to the Kentucky Oaks. So it'd be nice to see Todd be in the Kentucky Oaks again. I think he was in uh, last year's running of the uh, Kentucky Oaks with that nice Philly, full connection, I think the name is, or flying connection. Mm -hmm. She ran sixth out of a field of 20 in last year's uh, Kentucky Oaks and, of course, strolled in our Selman Park Oaks. And that race, our Sullivan Park Oaks is worth a quarter million. So look for Candy Island to wheel right back on February the 18th. Big surprise, though, in the Fort Bliss Stakes, not that he's, you know, an unknown horse. Espionage is a really tough, gritty kind of a welterweight. But certainly a horse that's fought the battles throughout the entire nation, really. He's run big races at Oak Lawn, And he got good, again, at uh, New Mexico, running big races that I called him winning at Albuquerque in, the, in a nighttime race. He did pretty good at Zia. And what happened in the Fort Bliss is, once again... The pace was so hot that uh, the the early leaders just could not hang on. And uh, and Espionage's game is coming from behind and finishing with a flourish. And it it didn't look like he was ever going to win. But the horse on the lead finally got tired and Espionage was uh, obliged to take over.
0: I love it. And now, back to the Riley Allison for a second. You talked about the Churchill horse uh, coming in. Was that something you expected for this race? Shippers, especially those coming from places like Churchill Downs, or did you feel like the Riley Allison was going to have more of a local flavor for that race?
5: I was surprised. It made the race better. There were a couple of late scratches, so the the field dwindled from 8 to 6. But I really like what I saw with Lucky Jeremy. All you need to do is put your eyes on him when he's in the post parade. And he's, you know, he's on his toes. He's ready to go. He's well-bred. He's by a stallion called Looking at Lucky, who's highly regarded throughout the country. His owner, Jeremy Ramsland, I know we've talked about a lot, you know, over the years, winning local stakes here. But he got a, you know, a nationally known trainer, uh, Bill Morey. And they got interested in our series of races. They are interested in running in the Southern Derby. And they knew that it was important to maybe get a spin over the track. And they got it. And I, I think that he won with, you know, consummate ease. He, he really looked that good. Um, he waited. He, re- he relaxed. I think it was his first race around two turns. And that's always a big challenge for a young three-year-old. Because his win at Churchill was over the mud. And it was only one turn. But he waited to make his move. Boy, there were a lot of closing winners last week. Most of them came from off the pace. But uh, lucky Jeremy is just going to love a routing. He won by two lengths. He won in a time of one minute 36 and change. I think the buyer is going to be either in the high 80s or a 90. So once again, it's good news for the selling Derby. And the horse that was second. A lot of luck. Very nice speed type probably doesn't want to go this far, but he's got a big heart, and he made Lucky Jeremy work a little, but Lucky Jeremy had a lot of speed in reserve, and I think that those two will come back on February the 18th and run in our Arsena Derby, and Bill Morey is kind of like a, a staple on the Kentucky circuit, Steve, so never had him here before, really thrilled about it. Uh, he put away those Steve Asmussen shippers, and Maybe we'll see some different horses from the Aspinousen barn, you know, for the Sunland Derby. But I was very, very uh, pleased that I know Dustin Dix was too that we got that type of a horse to run in our prep.
0: I'm excited for you, Eric Alwyn yeah. with us. He's the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack here on our weekly edition of Track Talk. You mentioned it; other horses potentially coming in town for the Sunland Derby, and uh, because of the, I guess the. Uh, prowess of the shippers uh like lucky jeremy you wonder if there'll be any other local horses entering into the derby or if this could be one of those races that's featuring uh, out of town shippers uh, from all over the country
5: you know it could get more flavor in in the in the sense that the Sullivan derby if you win it doesn't exactly get you into the kentucky derby anymore mm-hmm. it gets you halfway with 20 points so if there are any other Kentucky horsemen that are interested, you know, we invite them to come because it's such an important stepping stone. And we're earlier than we have been. We're like five weeks earlier. Yeah. So there's still time to hopscotch to another prep somewhere in the country in, you know, mid-March, late March. And then you're in the Derby if you just run well enough. So you got to win our sunlin derby and then maybe be second or third in a higher echelon prep race. Somewhere in the country, maybe now, even in Santa Anita.
0: That would be huge. Um, I know this weekend no signature stakes races uh, to highlight. Yeah. However, how about horses racing Saturday and Sunday at Sunland? That at least, uh, if you're heading to the track this weekend, you should keep a pretty close eye on Eric. Who would you like to uh, to highlight?
5: I've got I've got one. I think one real good one. You know the reason for the paucity of no stakes. We didn't, want to, we didn't want to compete with possibly Dallas being in a, you know, a playoff game, plus the NFL playoff games get such big attention. So it's so a one week where there's no stakes. Here's a good horse running on Sunday. We're going to have – that's a quarter-horse day, by the way. But believe it or not, we're going to have four straight 870 races to begin the day. So you might see a couple of thoroughbreds in those 870 races. And I like a horse called Coyster – who's running in the second race uh, here at someone on Sunday. This horse has won four of his last five races, won easily here on opening uh, weekend, going 870. Never seen the thoroughbreds do so good against the quarter horses going 870s this year. But Casey Lambert, his trainer, has got this thoroughbred just in tuned. He's a good speed horse going like five to five and a half furlongs, but he might be an even better 870 horse because he just puts away his rivals with such ease there's another horse in the race that possibly include as an exact uh, accompaniment and that's running in the rain who missed his break last time out that means he got a, a slow start and he closed to get second against a horse called rocky bar six last time out but he made up about five lengths and i've seen him win going a thousand yards so that's pretty close enough for me to endorse him going uh 870 you know, for the bottom spots. But Coyster's got the rail, Steve. So I think he's in a great spot. Even if he doesn't get the lead into the turn, he can find a path to run through and do very well. It could be an example of trying to uh, wheel a horse. Do you know what that means? Like you take Coyster, and then you take everybody else in the field. It would cost about uh, $12 or $6 if you do a dollar. So as long as Coyster wins, you hit the exact.
0: Well, that's nice, especially if potentially a long shot comes in second. That really would have a chance to pay.
5: It could. And being that there's only six other rivals, it's not too expensive. Yep, I like it.
0: Eric, as always, appreciate the time. Thank you, sir. We'll look forward to having you back with us again next week here on Track Talk.
5: Take care. Appreciate it.
0: We're back with Lane Frank the host of the schoolyard sports podcast episode 154 dropped this week check that out wherever you get your uh podcasts and uh, audio and video on demand he's got a lot to talk about i'm sure it's his nfl championship preview week which we'll uh, get to in a little bit now you said it earlier uh, your original preseason super bowl favorites were San Francisco out of the out of the NFC and Kansas City out of the AFC so you're honoring your picks now is that was that the beginning of the playoffs or beginning of the season beginning of the season okay that's terrific so first off congratulations thank you because if you made two picks and they're still alive on championship week at the start of the season that's uh, that that's pretty uh, that's pretty impressive yep. now if you could do it over again right now Don't shake your head before I finish the question. Hang on. With everything you know at this point, would you change anything about it, or do you feel just as good with San Francisco and KC now as you
6: did before the season started? I feel just as good with it. I think the Baltimore Ravens are an amazing team, and I actually picked them to win the Super Bowl last season. I said they get to the conference championship game this year, so I nailed the conference championship game, too. But they're a really good team, but they're not going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. When you look at Patrick Mahomes, when you look at Andy Reid, he is going to scheme up something to win this game. This is the best defense Patrick Mahomes has had as time the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback. The only thing holding them back this year has been the offense. Offense gets rolling against Baltimore Ravens. They get that win. And same for the 49ers. Lions, gritty team, not gritty enough to win this one. Okay, let's
0: backtrack for a second. You picked Baltimore last year to win the Super Bowl. Okay, they, that didn't happen. Nope. You can make an argument... That this Baltimore team is the best version of the Ravens we've seen. All right. Especially with Lamar Jackson. That this is the most talented Ravens team we've seen since he's been in the league. So with that being said, I not and by the way, I agree with you. I picked Kansas City too. So I'm not trying to throw Baltimore at you. I'm just saying that they are a they're the first overall seed. They got a terrific group, top to bottom. I saw what they did to Houston. And that was make their lives miserable. But I'm, I still like Kansas City because I saw what they did in Buffalo last week, and I just feel like with all the experience and and this team still being very much intact from last season's Super Bowl championship team, that they will find a way to go in there and win.
6: Well, Baltimore has a lot of talent and they had a lot of talent last year. I thought last year they could have made a run, but Lamar Jackson gets hurt, and misses the last seven games of the season. They lose first round of the playoffs. Kind of crazy to think that Lamar had them in the playoff position. With seven games left. Yes. Then they end up losing some of those games because Tyler Huntley to play in them. We all know how that went. But for the Baltimore Ravens, the biggest thing they've had is head coaching hours, or not head coaching hours, coaching hours. Mike McDonald comes back to Baltimore in 2022 to be their defense coordinator after the terrible job Wink Martindale had done his first few years there in Baltimore. So Mike McDonald has done a great job. He might get head coaching. Look, like this year he's transformed that defense. They're getting guys like Roquan Smith. Patrick Queen involved. They've handled their running back situation well after J.K. Dobbins goes down. Keenan Mitchell goes down. Gus Edwards playing great. Justice Hill playing good enough. Lamar Jackson, you can call him the best runner in football. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's enough to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Because the Chiefs' defense
0: this year is the
6: best they've ever had. Yes, and to go with that, I think the offense just starts to get clicking. Nice, a game against Buffalo. It's tough to win in Buffalo, and it's even tougher to win in negative conditions. Weather. They're going to win this one in Baltimore.
0: Okay. Um... Let's go now to San Francisco for a second. I picked the Lions. And the reason I picked the Lions is because I was not impressed with San Francisco last week. Okay. To me, they should have lost that football game. In fact... If Carlson makes what should have been a pretty makeable 41-yard field goal, they have a seven-point lead with San Francisco getting the ball with about six minutes left with a chance to try to tie the game on a touchdown and send it into overtime or beat him if they went for two, which I don't think they would have done. And, of course, we know what happens. He misses the kick. They march down the field, get the game-winning drive, and then they pick off Love at the end to seal that victory. So I felt like last week Green Bay outplayed them. I felt like Green Bay left way too many points on the board. But for the, if you look at these two teams, Green Bay was the better of the two teams last week, but San Francisco was able to get the win. Detroit, to me, is a lot like Green Bay. Um, their head coach is fearless. He'll do anything. He, he's a little crazy, which I like. I like a little crazy in the NFL. Um, Goff has, resur- has had a resurgence in Detroit. They have a very nice running game with Gibbs in Montgomery. They've got one of the best receivers in the game in uh, St. Brown. Um, I look and, and I love their uh, rookie tight end in LaPorta. Their defense has your guy, Aiden Hutchinson, and their defense is making plays. And I don't feel good enough yet about Brock Purdy, even though he was able to pull that game out late against Green Bay, to think that if Detroit comes ready to play, I feel like this could be the Lions' time and they might be rolling in to take on Kansas City, the, the picks I made for uh, Super Bowl 58.
6: So for me, San Francisco is the best of these four teams, but I don't think it's so far-fetched to say that Detroit might be number 2, better than Kansas City, better than Baltimore. They beat Kansas City Week 1 in the loss to Baltimore on the road at Baltimore, but the way Jameer Gibbs has been playing, the way Jameson Williams has come back from everything that he's had, 20 ACL suspension, Jared Goff, Dan Campbell, this great offensive line, you look at Aiden Hutchinson on the defense, Mm -hmm. they're a great team. I just think the 49ers are the best team in the NFL. But again, you put the Lions up against the Chiefs right now, I'm going to pick the Lions. If you put the Lions up against the Ravens, I've got a real argument. Now, let's talk quarterback for a second.
0: Okay. Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff, Brock Purdy. Where do you rank all four
6: quarterbacks top to bottom at this point? Let me think about this for a second because Brock Purdy, I'll compare him to, say, J.J. McCarthy in the Michigan system where it seems like he does nothing and gets all the credit for it, kind of like how it seems with J.J. McCarthy, but he does the job well enough, doesn't turn the ball over that much, he does the job well enough to get them wins. So I don't think you could put Brock Purdy at number four. I would say you put Jared Goff at number four because he can find a way to lose that game for you, whether it's turnovers, whether it's something else, but he's still a great quarterback. Mm-hmm. Number three, I'd put Brock Purdy because he's not a generational talent. Lamar Jackson is a generational talent. He can throw the ball amazing, and he's also the best runner in football. Yes. But number one, the guy's won two Super Bowls, the guy who is the most ridiculous freak talent at quarterback I think we've ever seen, Patrick Mahomes. So you're going Mahomes, Jackson, Purdy, Goff.
0: There we go. I- I'm fine with that. I I might go Goff three, Purdy four, and the only reason is because Purdy is so new to this, especially in the postseason, I need to see more. you got to remember. He didn't play last postseason. He was hurt. So this is his first ever shot at the playoffs. And yes, last week was his first playoff win. So to put him over Goff, knowing what Goff was able to do in um, with the Rams
6: and now Detroit, I don't know if I'm ready to do that yet. Well, for Purdy, he's won playoff games before. I know you said he only won that, that one last week, but he won two last year about like The Seahawks game, and then the Cowboys game. Oh, that's true, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Hurt. yeah, okay, that's fair. So, that's Purdy, fair. Yeah, yeah. so Purdy has experienced. I'm going to give him his flowers right here. Jared Goff, though, still has experienced. These are two guys that get so much hate from everybody in the media, it seems mm-hmm. like. But I respect them both. I think Jared Goff, his whole career, was kind of an undervalued guy. I said, he brought a team to the Super Bowl. Doesn't care who's around you. You bring a team to the Super Bowl as a quarterback, you're a high-level quarterback in the NFL. Similar Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, I like to say, only three losses in his NFL career. Four, if you're kind of not championship game last year but he didn't get a shot in that championship game so really just three in the regular season it's a great actually four that ravens game but great 49ers team great chiefs team i like andy Reid. obviously texted him this week congratulating him on the win he texted back so that's kind of my reasoning for picking the chiefs over the ravens i like
0: that that's good because yes andy Reid gave you a response friend of my show
6: asked you how the podcast was going maybe i'll get him on uh maybe if he's not on the super bowl we can get him on here when i'm hosting but we want him on the super bowl right we do I do, but also, would it be nice to have him on here? Yes, it
0: would. Uh, Adrian, give me your four quarterbacks ranked one through
1: four. So I agree completely with Lane's list. I would just like to emphasize the gap in tiers when you actually stack them up with the, the rest of the 32 quarterbacks across the league because I think tier one across the league is Patrick Mahomes and him only. And then there's this big gap, and then it's the next tier, tier two quarterbacks. It's Lamar, it's uh, Josh Allen, it's Joe Burrow, and then there's another gap. And then you can start talking about other quarterbacks. And then I would put Jared Goff kind of below the tier of uh, you know Matthew Stafford, guys like that. Justin and he, Herbert? Um, yeah, below uh, Herbert for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, Her- Herbert I would put in kind of like the tier three class, yeah. if you really wanted to quantify it. Especially
0: and then, now when you know you've got Jim
1: Harbaugh. And then I would put... Pur, uh, Purdy in uh, still left to be determined in kind of that uh, like Trevor Lawrence conversation. Maybe you even throw Tua in that tier as well, where you're still waiting to know see more uh, playoff postseason success or non-success from these guys to give a full evaluation.
0: But have you seen enough of Purdy to put him ahead of Goff? In your rankings for this week,
1: yes, I think so. I, I think uh, so far, I mean, I've seen the bad from Goff, and uh, as a Rams fan, I've seen it. I've seen, it. and I also appreciate how he's been more, you know, successful throughout this tenure with the Lions. But I think that Ben Johnson does a lot for him. I really do. I think that offensively, and I think you can make the same argument for Brock Purdy, but the difference is when uh, you ask for those game. Uh, dis- deciding drives, mm-hmm. I think Purdy will give them to you, just like you saw last week against the Packers. I think so, too.
0: 42 passes. as we continue. Alright, we'll come back. We've got a little more to talk about with you. We'll do that. We've got Lane Frank in the house. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. I Jenny. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. This is Khalid, for those of you wondering, El Pasoan. Um, we've got right now Lane Frank here uh, inside our 600 ES El Paso, River Oaks Properties Schoolyard Sports Studios. In fact, I want to give a big uh, shout out to uh, River Oaks Properties for allowing uh, us to bring you to the show each and every week. They sponsor our studios along with Schoolyard Sports. Episode 154 drops here uh, this week. In fact, it's already out. What are you talking about at 154?
6: 154, talking about Jim Harbaugh leaving the Michigan Wolverines to go to Los Angeles Charters. talking about the five best Single-game performances we've ever seen, because Kobe, Kobe's 81-point game happened 18 years ago on Monday. So January 22nd, 18 years ago, 2006. It's when Kobe dropped 81, starting so ranked the five greatest in sports history. Number one is Wilt Chamberlain. Number two is Kobe's 81. A few other great things on there. Go tune in. My conference championship game predictions. bunch of stuff. Go tune in.
0: Do you know that—how uh, many, um, many times do you think Michael Jordan scored 70 or more points in his career? Never. Right. Never. Joel Embiid did it uh, this week. In Devin Indiana. Booker did it. That's he did. He absolutely Don did. Don Mitchell did it. Yep. Have, did you notice a trend? Have you looked at the, the full list of 70 or more? What's I think? the one thing you noticed?
6: What Chamberlain, what Chamberlain, what Chamberlain? Besides what that. About? No LeBron.
0: Besides that.
6: Okay, let me see if I can name all the 70 point games.
0: No, that, 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 you have to do that. But I just want to know there's something else in common that you're forgetting about. A lot of teams did it against the Knicks. Have you noticed that? No, I haven't. I, kept, I was like looking at the full list. And I was like, wow. Against the Knicks. Teams huh? are just dropping 70-plus against the Knicks. Now, Ooh. you got to remember, this is also from the 60s. Booker was against but, the Celtics. No, I'm talking not so much recently. Okay. But if you, older, if you look in the old days. Now, remember, Wilt we'll scored score 100 a against the Knicks. Scored 100 against the Knicks in, in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I think it was in 62. But there was a lot of games in which the Knicks gave up. I think Elgin Baylor scored 71 against the Knicks. Elgin Baylor was a bucket. Yes, he was. That's right. Um, so that's, it's a good stat, though. It really is. And by the way, you tell me. I mean, how good is Joel Embiid?
6: Joel Embiid is amazing, but when you have to think about it, it's time for you now to do this stuff in the playoffs, not just the regular season. Who cares what you can do in the regular season? We know you're great. Giannis was great in the regular season. He got all the pressure in the playoffs. He won a championship. Jokic was great in the regular season. He got all the pressure for not doing well in the playoffs. He is the championship. Joel Embiid. Time to win a championship.
0: Is Doc Rivers going to the Bucks going to do anything to Milwaukee come playoff time?
6: Oh, that's pretty interesting to me because Doc Rivers is a guy where if things don't go well right away, he's going to want out, they're going to want out. It's a five-year deal, and they just signed him two days ago, which is kind of crazy for an in-season hire to happen in the NBA. We don't see it much. I think the they last also time like, that happened was Chris Finch, and
0: were they also like thirty and thirteen? I mean, it's 30, not exactly. 13. This is not exactly like a team that's under five hundred making
6: a coaching change. This is one of the better teams in the East. Not happened in the past. I mean, the Cavs had a similar record to thirty and thirteen, and they fired David Blatt midseason. They hired Tyron Lou. Tyron Lou ended up winning the championship with them that year, but a little bit interesting.
0: Yeah, you know why David Blatt was fired. He was, he was a fighter pilot.
6: David Blatt. You know, did you NBA. did you ever
0: did you ever, re- did you ever read the comments he made about being a fighter
6: pilot? I know that he didn't know he players could call timeouts. I knew that.
0: Yeah, it was even better. Like his his he had some of the best comments ever for a head coach. We loved him on Sports Talk. Blatt was was money. He was Sports Talk gold. Um, Sharon Moore is now the new head coach at Michigan. Let's Go talk Blue. about Jim Harbaugh going to the Chargers. The impact you think that's going to have, and
6: and how Moore now uh, gets the uh, permanent job. I think it's great for Harbaugh. He loves Justin Herbert. I saw him on a podcast a few months ago saying Justin Herbert's his favorite quarterback to watch. So when they fired Brian Staley, I kind of thought that, all right, this is probably going to happen. Harbaugh to the Chargers. He'll get Justin Herbert. He'll draft his Michigan guys. I could see him easily drafting maybe Blake Corum, Mikey Sanders, still, a few other guys. But when you think about it, Harbaugh wins a championship with the Chargers. What's next? Because you're not going to stay in the NFL forever. Is he really going to want to do that? But he's also not going to want to retire at 65. He's a football guy. His dad's 85 and still coaching. So is he going to want to go back to Michigan? Because that's not going to be a reality. I think this is a bad decision by Harbaugh, but for the Chargers, great decision.
0: And Michigan, you like more. You think that will be a good decision when it comes to seeing how he will handle the team from here on out. I do. Okay. Tyrese Knight was given an invite today to the NFL Scouting Combine. How big of a deal is that? It's a
6: pretty big deal. He had a great season. He did.
0: I mean, Tyrese Knight is somebody that we could see now as a, a potential day-two draft pick, if he, especially if he tests out
6: well. Wow. When was the last time a Utah player did the Combine? Will Hernandez?
0: Nah, yeah, can't be that I think yet. it was Will Hernandez. And by the way, like. first, second second uh, pick uh, in the second round by the Giants. So that was, a you know again, one of the higher-ranked UTEP uh, picks in a while.
6: We'll see more guys go. We'll see Jeremiah Byers used to be at UTEP, Tyron Smith, Jacob Callen. They'll do the combine. You think Tyron Smith? If He has a good year at Cincinnati for sure.
0: Okay. Excellent. Um, did you mention anything about your birthday on the uh, Schoolyard Sports Podcast? Did not mention anything. No balloons?
6: Birthday. No balloons this week. Oh, God, you threw
0: the balloons out for Michigan winning the national championship, but you didn't have <laughs> for your own birthday. I like
7: that.
6: Michigan winning in 100th episode. Only time the balloons get burnt out.
0: Okay, listen. We'll see you next week. And then a special announcement. You and Cade will be hosting, along with UTEB Zay, a sports talk for us on Monday, February 5th. We'll be heading out to Vegas that day, starting our Radio Rose celebration where we're broadcasting all week. And you're going to have a lot lined up for that show.
6: It'll be great. We're excited for it.
0: Can't wait. We'll see you then. Have a great weekend.
6: Thank you, Steve. You got it.
0: Lane Frank, folks, joining us as we wrap up Hour 2 here on the show. I love it. Every time Lane is done, he gets up, he's ready ready to bolt before I've even stopped the show. It's just, he's, you know, got a lot going on. He's busy. Now he drives. He's got a lot happening. We've got our final hour next. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. I'm old enough to remember when that song came out. Um, Very popular song. I have the record. I have that run DMC record. And then, of course, the movie Road Trip. I think it was Road Trip where they were doing that, uh, where that one uh, kid was doing that dance to this song. Um, yeah, great uh, great musical choice, Adrian. I like that. Final hour is underway. We've got Alberto Urueta here as well with Adrian Broaddus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Let's jump back out uh, to our 600 ESPN El Paso Longhorn Distributing Hotline, where all of our guests always appear. And joining us on the Longhorn Distributing Hotline is the head coach and technical director of El Paso Locomotive FC, the one and only Brian Klarhout. And Brian, uh, welcome back to the program. And uh, it's been a while. Good to talk to you. How are you today?
7: Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate a a great uh, soundtrack intro. I thought that was for me. Um, But but all good. All good. Yeah, it's been a while. Thanks for having me. Sorry I couldn't come into the studio. I'm going to an academy game to see our younger players play in a little bit. But uh, good to talk to you and good to be here in 2024. How are you doing? Good.
0: I'm doing well. First off, if I knew that uh, Run DMC is uh, is your kind of tunes, we'll we'll uh, we'll have it uh, racked up for you every time. So that's perfect. That's what we we always like to know what kind of music our guests enjoy. That's for sure.
7: Hey, we have old school hip hop coming from New York. You know, that's right. That's, my alley.
0: <laughs> that's right. Hey. Uh, so first off, Happy New Year! It's good to have you on. In fact, today's a big day because. Uh, single match tickets went on sale today. So not only do we have the season tickets on sale, but single gamers on sale as well. Preseason's right around the corner. You mentioned the Academy. There's a ton to talk about. And uh, you've been busy reshaping your roster for season number two.
7: Yeah, it's been a busy offseason. You know, for me, you have to make some decisions. It's year two for me. Um, I said in the beginning of 2023, hey, we got to get this club back in the playoffs. We were able to do that a little bit more of a nail-biter than I would have uh, wanted it to be. Maybe maybe the last time I was in the studio with you, I didn't expect it to be that much of a nail-biter. Well, well we brought in a lot of exciting pieces, a lot of experienced pieces, a lot of the top players in this USL championship, and, and a lot of guys that can score a lot of goals. So it was busy. Our staff did a good job, and, and I think the fans of El Paso uh, are going to enjoy seeing these guys.
0: I agree with you. And um, one thing I'll I'll say is this. You had a tougher task in year one because you inherited a very large portion of your roster. How difficult is it when you come on board for the first time and you realize that uh, most of the players you put out on the pitch are not necessarily players that you've been able to handpick?
7: Yeah, it's part of a new coach joining any team, right? Not only in our sport, but, you know, in in any sport that uh, you talk about. Um, I came in December, right, got going in January and uh, looked at this team, and I was like, okay, what do we have here? What are the players like? And what's the best formation to play with the players that we have? And luckily, I think we were able to put something together. I didn't want to come in and put a – put a circle in a, in a square hole. I uh, always say that. So we were able to kind of put something together, but that takes time, right? And that's that's a transition this year. Okay, this is the system we I want to play. These are the players that are suited for it. So we we fastened the process um, in order to be more successful in the long term, I think. I'm,
0: I'm with you on that. And I also have realized one thing over the last five years of watching this club play that the season is a marathon, and usually it's filled with ups and downs. That's just normal. It's the nature of the beast. And ultimately, uh, you'd love to start off strong or have a great middle of your season, but it's how you're playing heading into uh, the months of September and October that could very well tell us uh, how this team is going to be come postseason.
7: Yeah, I mean, that's the nature of playoffs, right? And last season was, uh, I've been in promotion relegation and I was in Europe, and last year was the first year I, I experienced prof- uh, playoffs um, in my professional career. And you look at a team like Phoenix, I believe they, they finished just one point of head, ahead of us in the regular season. They go on a run and they win, they win the championship. So it's about getting hot at the right time. Um, I think we got hot in the first part of the season, then we had a, a really strong dip. As well, we're able to kind of hybrid that, but we never got into that form that we saw in the beginning of the year. There was a lot of injuries, a lot of changes in our lineup, um, and we're looking to have, be more consistent this year, and we're looking to have more depth so we don't run into those problems anymore.
1: Hey, Coach, it's Adrian over here. Now, knowing that, when you're talking about roster management and carrying it through the long season, which it is, how do you assess preseason play? Because that's going to be right around the corner. First, you take on the Loco FC U20 team, but then you've got uh, squads like Louisville City FC, Detroit City FC. What do you take away from those preseason matchups that you look to translate into the regular season when it kicks off in early March?
7: Yeah, um, I think this is a good question, right? Uh, you can't get too hung up on results, but we want to win. We, wanna, we want a team of winners, and, and we want to be competitive from day one. We, I want to instill that culture. It's a lot of new players that, that have come in, so it's about getting those relationships, right? Okay, what, what players work well together? What is our best 11? What are things we need to, um, to get better at? What are things that we're good at? Um, what are things that we're better with, with this guy in this position? So it's, it's about finding that chemistry, right? So we're ready to go against Hartford in March. That's what I'm looking at. I think we have a pretty good preseason schedule, right? We, um, we start out with our Academy, but then we got Louisville, we got Detroit, we got New Mexico, um, three teams in our league that are, that are good tests for us.
0: You also have uh, matches played in El Paso and Tucson. And it's difficult, isn't it? Because you can't travel all over the country in the preseason. It doesn't make any sense. So you've got to find almost that uh, neutral site area where both clubs can go travel and play. And for uh, El Paso, that uh, seems to be a logical choice of Tucson, Arizona.
7: Yeah, Tucson traditionally has been a big hub for preseason with both MLS teams and USL championship teams. This year it's changed a little bit. I would have liked to to test our, to test us uh, against MLS uh, competition, right? Let's get challenged as soon as possible. It's changed in the last two years. Um, a lot of these MLS co- uh, clubs are going out to California or Florida. Um, but we we're fortunate to get a, a few good games there in and, and a good team building uh, trip for us as well. Uh, we get to go out to Tucson, spend a few days, we come back, we go to Tucson again, again, get used to games on the road, get used to how we travel, and get, like I said, bring uh, bring this team together a bit. A lot of new faces, let's spend some time together and let's compete and let's have a good showing.
0: Brian Klarhot's with us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. Coach, uh, first off, when you look at your roster this year uh, and this season and you compare it to last season, what is the first thing that at least uh, you know fans should take note when they're looking at these two clubs my first impression was scoring and I noticed that you addressed that this offseason and brought on board uh, I think uh, some veteran players that have been pretty successful uh, around this league and putting the ball
7: in the net yeah I think the first thing from a fan's perspective you look at where's Lucho Um, and Lucho you know, when you're doing these contract negotiations, things, things happen. You know, it, it, two parties have to agree uh, to agree. Lucho got injured last season. He was our leading scorer. And then we struggled to replicate that goal scoring um, after his injury. It was extremely difficult. So it's something I wanted to address this offseason. I, I looked at bringing in guys that, that score multiple goals. Um, Amando Moreno. From New Mexico United, ten goals. Justin Dillon, uh, big point player, team-leading assist in uh, assist record in San Antonio. Uh, Rivas, Joaquin Rivas from Miami, ten goals. Tumi Moshibani from San Diego, eight goals. So, with with these additions, with what we've had, with guys contributing six, five, four, um, we'll have multiple players that that have that knack and multiple players that can come off the bench to, to add to the scoring threat for us.
0: Yeah, that's, that's the most important thing. And, uh, you know, you also kept a lot of your defense intact, which I think is important, too, because defense uh, seemed like for the majority of the season played well, kept you in a lot of matches, and it did exactly what you wanted. So sometimes uh, when you know that you already have a good defense, you don't necessarily you're trying to uh, make a lot of moves during the
7: offseason. Yeah, I mean, Benny Diaz, we brought in new keepers. Uh, Jamalia Waite uh, from Pittsburgh. He um, was one of the best, better goalkeepers in the league on uh, save of the year. Uh, Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Uh, Benny Diaz went to FC Juarez. We Also got a loan from FC Juarez as well, a goalkeeper. Um, Ramon Pasquale, who has joined us, so and Javi Garcia, who's been here. So we have three keepers that are fighting for the number one. Um, defensively, we're able to make a permanent move for Noah Dolenmeyer from LAFC, and then we added a few pieces, Elijah Martin, um, Bolu from Miami, some guys that have some traits that we think uh, that we needed to add. Uh, Good passers, good building out of the back, so we can kind of a, a bit more of a balance than we had at the end of last season.
0: You mentioned Benny Diaz. I feel like this is a really good story because normally we see players from FC Juarez going to El Paso Locomotive FC, uh, and that's been successful over the last uh, three, four years. Not the other way around, but Benny Diaz is perhaps uh, maybe starting a trend that we could see here in the future as the partnerships with these two clubs continue to grow.
7: Yeah, the partnerships is, is, Growing, and I think it's a fantastic opportunity for for both clubs. Right, um, we have an opportunity to attract players because of that partnership. We saw firsthand with Benny Diaz, um, him moving to the top league in Mexico. Young goalkeeper has a bright future, um, and we hope that can can continue. I think it's it gives us a how could I put this a an advantage um, for recruiting players, especially Mexican-American players.
1: Coach, another thing uh, regarding FC Juarez, uh, and we talked about this with general manager Andrew Forrest before, but it's great that you all are taking on each other in the international friendly. That's less than two months from now, March 20th at Southwest University Park. What does this do for just the fans to see both of these clubs, which are under the same umbrella in Mountain Star Sports, uh, play against each other in this international friendly?
7: Yeah, I think it shows the relationship. I think it's great for the fans of the Borderplex, and kind of unites the two professional soccer teams in the region. Um, you know, we're, we're coming off a tough schedule at that time, but we want to have a good showing, and we want to entertain our fans. And I, I think it'll be an interesting game. I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes, and and I and I think it's good. There'll be local players, but there'll be guys, there'll be big name players that FC Juarez has. Um, I I think it's cool. I think it's cool, and I think it unites uh, not only our clubs but but the BorderPlex community. So I think it will be a fun, competitive game, and I think the fans will really enjoy it.
0: You also get to play five of your first seven matches at home. I'm sure for you, uh, establishing your home field is a big goal early on and giving the fans an opportunity to head out to the ballpark in March to watch you play.
7: We need to be better at home. You know, uh, I think we set a had one of the best records away in the league. We struggled at home a little bit. And a part of attracting our home fan base is we need to be good at home and we need to make make it difficult to play at Southwest University Park and, and El Paso. So we're looking forward to change that trend this year and be be a force to be reckoned with at home. I'm I'm super excited. Uh like you said, we, we have, I think the first, what did you say, Steve, the first three? I know the first, first three.
0: First three and five of the first seven.
7: Five out of the first seven. I mean, it puts us in a good opportunity, right? We need to take advantage. We're not traveling. We're not traveling to the East Coast. Let's take advantage of this. Let's, let's get comfortable on our home field and let's get some results and let's get the fans uh, behind us from day one.
0: You mentioned something when we started this interview, and I'm not talking about Run DMC, Coach, but you mentioned that uh, you're heading out to go watch the Academy play uh, here in a little bit. Talk a little bit about the growth of what you've seen from your youth soccer programs, uh, specifically the Academy, that has given fans a a glimpse into the future as you've uh, had the opportunity to let some of your youngsters play on the big club.
7: Yeah, it's fantastic. I think uh, our academy director, Ivan, is doing a fantastic job. It keeps growing. We're producing good players there. Um, the under-20s, like I mentioned, they're, they're going to start a a friendly game in a few minutes. And when I whenever I get a chance, uh, I, I try to go see them. Because if we can put together a culture and align our first team, how we want to play, our values, into our academy it makes recruiting, bringing the step up from a homegrown player a lot easier. And a lot of these clubs, they they rely on homegrown talents. And I think, you know, in El Paso, we're a hotbed for, for natural talent. You know, we can talk about Ricardo Pepe, for for example. Um, we want to bring those guys, give them an opportunity. They need to earn the opportunity because the USL is a, is a tough league. Um, and we were fortunate to have in the Open Cup game see some of our top young players playing that game and get their first uh, professional experience. So they're doing a fantastic job. There's a few very exciting players from from El Paso that will have good professional careers in the future. I know you didn't
0: get to coach him, but Diego Luna played this week for the first time on the U.S. Men's National Team and in the starting lineup. How about what that means to this club, knowing that you already have one of your great young talents playing for the U.S. Men's National Team?
7: Well, I think it's a good example for for players if we bring players from other clubs but it's a it's a shining example for our, our our academy to see the growth and to see the step um that Diego's taken I mean in the playoffs for Real Salt Lake last season I thought he was the best player for them and it's a well deserved call up um this this past weekend at san antonio against slovenia so it's exciting it shows it's real it shows that the dream can happen and i think we'll be seeing diego luna in a top european club pretty soon coach enjoy the
0: conversation thanks for joining us and i look forward to keeping uh, in touch with you this year and, and having you back on the show quite often
7: yeah looking forward to it next time i'll be in studio and uh Good to hear your voice, and looking forward to 2024. Thanks for having me.
0: You got it. There he is, head coach uh, Brian Clarhaud uh, as we continue here on the show. In fact, 20 in front of six. Uh, we got plenty more in store for you. Uh, as we continue with Sports Talk, it's 600 ESPN El Paso.